Well, glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. We want to thank everybody for coming out tonight. Appreciate y'all coming out, spending your Sunday night with us. We're going to have a good time tonight. I feel like God's going to show up. Won't you stand with us as we get ready for worship? I really, really feel like God's going to show up tonight. We come with expectation, ready for God to do something. The Bible says when they lifted up their voices in one accord, the Spirit came in. And so tonight we're going to lift up our voices with one accord. Won't you pray with me before we get started? Father, we thank you. We thank you for allowing us to gather together in this place, and we thank you that you're going to send your presence here with us. You said where two or three are gathered, there am I in their midst. God, we've gathered together in obedience to your word tonight. Send your spirit and do something supernatural in this room tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.
Pour out your spirit, God. 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 We wait for you, God. Pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit, God. Holy, 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 holy. You are worthy, 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 you are worthy. There's nobody like you, God. There's nobody like you, God. There's nobody like you. You're holy, you're holy, you're holy, you're holy. You're worthy, you're worthy. nobody like you God you're the only worthy and true God you're worthy you're worthy you're worthy you're worthy
Hallelujah. Breathe on us, God. Breathe on us, God. Breathe on us, God. Breathe on us, God. You're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy. Thank you, God. 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 Hallelujah. I love him today, church. I love him today, church. Hallelujah. Won't you hug somebody as you're seated? Hallelujah. Glory. <laughs> Whoo. There's nobody like him. He's been too good. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua chapter 4. Stay right there in that vein for a while. Mm. Gary's going to be all over me. I don't know if I can stop walking around today. Mm. My, 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 my. God, we thank you for your presence. Thank you for your presence. Hmm. Joshua chapter 4, I'll begin at verse 1. When you have it, say amen. amen. If you need a minute, say hold on. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory. Mm -hmm. Joshua chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Now when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, take for yourself twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them saying, take up for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm. Carry them over with you and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross again to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign among you that when your children ask later, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. 
I'd like to bring to you a message today I believe the Lord has given me entitled, Tell the Story. Tell the Story. Father, bless this word. Allow me to deliver it like you gave it to me. In Jesus' name, amen. I was in a music store in town, DeCapo. I was in there the other day getting some cables, and, and I walked in, and I was looking for something specific, and I couldn't find it on the shelf. And uh, the, the young man that's there often was helping another guy, and, and so I waited, and when he got through with that, with that man, he came over to me, and he said, you kind of look like one of the type. I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, well, you got to be some kind of musician or you got to be a sound guy or something. And I'm like, because of the hair, right? And he said, yeah, what's your story? <laughs> what's your story? It's kind of what the question is being asked here, right? What's your story? In the chapter before we get to our verse, actually several chapters before, Joshua has taken the place of a mighty man of God. This man's name was Moses, and Moses was the leader of the children of Israel. He was the one that God used to deliver them out of the hands of Egypt. And all of this time, he was, he was the guy. If you wanted something uh, done, if, if you needed a decision made, if you needed uh, a situation judged, Moses was the guy you went to. And, and Moses uh, had went with the children of Israel all through the wilderness. Remember, they had sent spies out into the promised land and come back with a bad report. And Caleb and Joshua were two of the spies, and, and uh, they came back with a good report, but they believed the report of the ten, and God was angry with them and said, well, uh, all of this generation that made that decision is going to have to die in the wilderness. So they went around the mountain for 40 years. And in the midst of all of that, Moses was supposed to be able to make it into the promised land with all of the rest of the people, but his anger got the better of him in one situation, and he disobeyed what God had told him to do, and now uh, he was to die in the wilderness with the rest. And so God and Moses take a walk together, and only God comes back. That's a nice way to say that uh, Moses died, or God killed him. Just kidding. All I know is, is that uh, when, when, when they took off together and only God came back, I don't know what happened while they were out there, but never because his place was in the desert. And Joshua was elected as the one. Joshua was chosen by God to be the guy that led them into the promised land. And so here we have a significant story because they've come up to the Jordan River, the same river they came to 40 years earlier, the same river in the same spot where they had made the decision 40 years ago, and they'd sent spies across and they come back with this report, they're in the same kind of place only 40 years later. And Joshua is there amongst the people and they're getting their second chance. And in the chapter before, God tells Joshua to tell the men who carry the, the, the Ark of the Covenant, tell the priests that carry the Ark of the Covenant uh, to walk out into the middle of the water, big, wide river, 
and it's in the time when the river actually floods its banks, the Bible says. Tell them to walk out into the water, and I am going to cause the water to heap up a long way from here, and you'll walk across on dry ground. It's a picture, it's a, it's a, a, a look back to what God did with the Red Sea parted the Red Sea. Now, he parted the Red Sea with Moses. Now, he's parting the Jordan with Joshua. This is Joshua's uh, inauguration. This is God confirming uh, his, his choice in Joshua. And he tells him in uh, Joshua 3.13, it shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand up in one heap. When the soles of the feet of the priests rest in the waters. The soles of the feet, that's the bottom of your foot. When they rest in the water, when they get all the way into the water, not when they dip a toe in. It would have been more comfortable as a priest if I'm carrying the ark, big heavy gold-laden box where the Spirit of God is said to meet with His people, containing things like uh, the, the tablets uh, that had the, the stone inscription from the finger of God Himself was in there, Aaron's rod was in there. And you, so you've got all of this weight on the shoulders of these priests, and, and God said, wait till the, the feet are in the water. It would have been much more comfortable as a priest to get all the way up to the water and then go, okay, God, part this water so we can walk into it. That's kind of what he did with the Red Sea, right? He, he, uh, east wind blew all night and, and they were able to walk across on dry land. Didn't really take much faith out of Israel. Uh, Moses stood there with his arms outstretched. The wind blew, but they got to st start on dry ground. Unfortunately, in this case, they're not starting on dry ground, they're starting in the water. So they have to step before they can see it. Not before. There's not a rumbling in the waters, there's not a whirlpool that starts going, that, uh, they can't look down the, into the upper side of the river and see that it's thinning out. No, they have to put their feet in the water and then God stops it. Can I ask you this question? Are you waiting or are you stepping? Are you standing at the edge of your opportunity and going, okay, God, whenever you part this water, I'm going in? When He's already said, if you'll just step out in faith, if you'll just do what I ask you to do, uh, if, you'll, if you'll just do what I've already tasked you with. Isn't it funny how, how, how we want the big things without going through the little things? God, send me a million dollars, but I can't balance my checkbook. God, I want to do big things. I want to do huge things, but you can't clean up your bedroom floor. I'm praying for a house with 18 rooms and can't keep one of them clean. God, 
God, I, I want to lead a multitude of people, but you can't keep your household straight. Isn't that what the Bible said about uh, the, the requirement for a deacon? Well, I, I just don't, I don't feel led. I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel led to read my Bible. I, I don't, I don't feel led to pray every day. I wait until God parts the water and then I step off into it. Mm. You don't have to feel led about things you're commanded to do. When God uh, and Jesus, he stood there at the end of Matthew and he said, go into all the world and make disciples. That's a command, do it. Go into all the world and make disciples. I don't feel, I don't, I don't feel led to witness to people. You don't have to pray about it if you've already been commanded about it. You're waiting on God to part the waters and to do this thing and he said, get your feet wet. When the feet of the priest carrying the ark were dipped into the water, when they rested in the water, the Bible says, the waters from above stood and rose up in a great heap but far distance away. Then in verse 17 in chapter 3 we see it says, And the priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. They got their feet wet, but they ended up on dry ground. All of Israel got to cross over on dry ground, but it was the priest who had to get his feet wet first. They stood there, firm on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Stood firm on dry ground. Stood firm on dry ground. Stepped into water and landed on dry ground. Stepped off into a chaotic situation, but landed in peace that passes all understanding. Stead firm on dry ground. If he said it, he will do it. We can stand firm on the promises of God. And it's at this point where we come to our scripture for today. Where God tells Joshua... Pile up these stones, one for each of the tribes of Israel. And when your children ask you, you tell them, this pile is here because this is the place where God showed up and we were able to walk across on dry ground. These stones came out of the middle of the river. We didn't gather them up off the edge. We went right back into the middle of the river. After the nation had crossed, how long does it take a whole nation to cross the river? How long did the priests have to stay there standing on dry ground and then God told them, you know what, go ahead and go back in there and go get them stones out of the river. In other words, pile these stones up and when they ask you, tell the story. Tell the story. Tell it to your children. Tell it when they ask. Build this monument so they know. Pass it on to future generations. Don't let what happened here be forgotten. Don't let your kids and grandkids forget there's a story to be told. There arose a Pharaoh. I hear it in my head. There arose a Pharaoh, not Joseph. There arose a king who didn't know the commandments of God. 
In fact, we read in one part of the scripture during the 18th year of Josiah's reign, they had begun the work to repair the temple. And Hilkiah the high priest found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Found the book of the law. Discovered it. Didn't know it was there. And went over and found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And the Bible says in 2 Kings 22:11 that when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Somewhere along the line, somewhere in the midst of generation to generation, a story wasn't told. Someone stopped telling the story. He didn't know the words of the book of the law. He didn't know. The priest didn't know. The guy that was supposed to know didn't even know where it was located. There was great mourning because they had strayed so far from God's... uh, intent for them. Tell the story. Can I ask you this question, when's the last time you shared your story? I've heard it said that the greatest uh, place of potential could be the graveyard. Because there are so many that held stories and knowledge and potential, but they took it to the grave with them. When I get to the end of my race, I want to know that I'm going to the grave empty. That I put forth all the effort I could manage, that I lived to my greatest potential, that everything that I had the opportunity to do, everything that God had put inside of me, I had fulfilled my purpose, that I had run my race. That someone one day will tell my story. Can I tell you this? Every believer has a story. Look at 1 John chapter 5. Verse 10 says, the one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Go to verse 11. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and the life is in his Son. See, there's an intersection between the story of one who believes and the story of Jesus. Tell the story of your encounter. When when was it that you encountered Jesus? What was it like when you first believed? I remember laying across that altar in Port Arthur, Texas. We had built a youth room. That was a moment, a pivotal moment for me when I was laid there and me and God had an argument. Because all that time I thought I could do it on my own. I thought I could will myself out of it. Yes, I I even prayed and fasted and I was trying to do it in and of myself. I was involved in the church. I was involved in the youth group. I was doing everything that I thought I should be doing. But I refused to submit to his loving hand. I had an encounter. I remember when I encountered the grace of Almighty God. I remember the vision that he gave me on that day about what was coming in my life. I I remember laying across that altar, tears running down my face. No, friend, it wasn't just emotional. There was something supernatural that happened laying across that altar that transformed my life. And I come home 48 hours later and made decisions that would change the trajectory of my future forever. What's your story? What's your story? I remember being birthed in revival. 
I remember receiving my call to ministry in revival, powerful services where God would come in and the anointing would flow. I, I remember. And it's my responsibility to share those stories with everybody I can. When my children get old enough uh, to understand, I'm sharing those stories. Because when God does something, you don't want to let it die. Build these stones. Put these stones here in this place. And when your children ask you, tell them the story. This is where God showed up. We see this pattern throughout the whole of Scripture. God does this over and over again. This, this isn't a, a singular story. In fact, uh, it begins very early. We see it. I, I'll just name a few. Uh, in Genesis chapter 9, God has just flooded the earth and, and Moses' uh, great boat, the ark, uh, landed there in the mountains. And when he came out and, and God was talking to him, God said this in 9.16, he said, when the bow is in the cloud... And I'll look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on earth. God put the rainbow in the sky as a symbol of the covenant so that when we would look on it, we would remember the promise that he had given us. One of these days I'll, I'll preach a message called Reclaiming the Rainbow. The rainbow has deeper meaning uh, than, than any of these people that are using it today ever thought about. The rainbow is a covenant promise. Genesis 32, Jacob wrestles with God. He wrestles all night and he refused to let him go. I will not let you go until you bless me. Reaches out and touches his hip. Jacob comes walking from that place, walking differently, with a limp. He walked different, had a different name when he encountered Almighty God in that place. And in fact, it says in Genesis 32, 32, Therefore to this day the sons of Israel do not eat of the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. They started this tradition, they started this thing so that when the children would ask, why, why, why don't we eat of that part of the animal? Why don't we put, eat of that part of the lamb? Why don't we eat of that? And they go, you know, there was a man named Jacob. And they tell the story. Each of the feasts, starting with the Passover, points to a bigger story. Exodus 12, 14. Now this day will be a memorial among you and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You're to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. It's a memorial. Each of the feasts were set to, to tell the story of God's miracles for Israel. Passover was to remember God's deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt. When God passed over the Israelite children because of the blood of the Lamb. Feast of Unleavened Bread was to remember God's provision during the deliverance from Egypt. The uh, Feast of First Fruits was to celebrate God's provision in the harvest. Uh, Shabbat or Pentecost, as we call it. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Feast of Tabernacles. All these times were designated and passed down from generation to generation to tell the story of what God had done for Israel. Story of God's provision, stories of God's protection, stories of God's healing and His breakthrough for His people. We still build 
memorials today. Today, the, the best memorial that we can build is the one that we build with our life. Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to Him, to God the Father. Your life is to be lived in His name as a memorial. Joshua 4.6, here in our chapter, let this be a sign among you so that when your children ask later, saying, what do these stones mean? to you. It was a memorial. And now our lives are a memorial. What do they mean to you? What do they mean to you? Your morals, your integrity, what do they mean to you? The things that you build as a memorial. When people ask, why do you live this way? Why do you value your integrity so highly? Why do you do everything with excellence? Why do you treat everybody with love? Why do you always strive to be the best example? They're asking this question, what do these things mean to you? Tell them the story. Tell the story. That's a great place to jump in right there and just say, you know what? Let me tell you the story. Let, let me tell you the story of how God brought me through. Let me tell you the story of the time that God provided what I needed it. Let me tell you the story about the time He waited, made a way when there seemed to be no way. Let me tell you the story how He's been faithful and true and He's never let me down. He's never failed me, no, not one time. And let me tell you what the psalmist said when he said, I once was young, but now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Let me tell you how He's been a strong tower in time of turmoil. Let me tell you how He's been a bridge over troubled waters. Let me tell you how he's provided for me time and time and time and time again. Let me tell you how he protected me when I needed it most. Let me tell you how he's kept me sane when I should have lost my mind. Let me tell you how he protected my children when they could have been lost. Let me tell you. Tell the story. Tell the story. Every believer has a story. And in fact, let me tell you this again, uh, there is power in your story. Revelations 12 verse 11 says, and they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. Your story is not just an entertaining bit of information. It's not just words on a page, it's not just memories in your mind, it is a weapon of spiritual warfare. The church should be on the offensive. We're not made to sit in our fancy strongholds and wait on an attack of the enemy. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I say that you're Peter and upon this rock I will build my church, watch this, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Gates are not offensive, they are defensive. We are made to gain ground, to take back territory, to invade the camp of the enemy, to see broken lives restored and strongholds broken, to see a healing and lives transformed and sinners saved. How do we do that? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Tell the story. Telling the story builds the faith of those around you. Joshua 4, 21 through 24, look at this one. 
Just afterwards, he said to the sons of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in the time to come, saying, what are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel, cross this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God has done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed. That all the peoples, all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that the fear of the Lord, so, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Why did he do it? That all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. Tell your story. Why? So that all the people across the earth will know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. Why do we tell the story? So that all may know. So everyone around us will know, so our friends and family will know, so our children will know, so our grandchildren will know, so that everybody that we come into contact with will know. If we have a moment of influence, we can tell them a story, and they'll know. This is the most important story to ever be told, the story of a believer's encounter with Jesus. We need everybody to know. We need everybody to know the story of Jesus and how that we encountered Him and what happened to us when we encountered Him. We need them to know that the transforming power of Almighty God is real and it's available to us today. That they don't have to stay bound and broken and confused. That there's healing available. There's deliverance available. And we know because we're first-hand witnesses. It's nice to hear stories that, that other people have heard from other people. But there's something different when you've heard it from an eyewitness. There's a difference between, you know, I heard one time about this guy. And there's a difference uh, uh, when, when you hear a story like this and it says, well, uh, I was in Haiti one time and a woman come up and she had a tumor on the inside of her mouth and it was so big that she really couldn't even talk right and we prayed for her and nothing happened and we prayed for her and nothing happened and we prayed for her again and nothing happened and we gave her a word that she would go home and God would do surgery on her mouth in the middle of the night and then when she come out the next day, she came and found us and she was going like this. Because the tumor had fell out of her mouth in the middle of the night. I was there. You can't tell me. I saw it with my own eyes. Secondhand stories. We, I need to hear your story. Telling the story builds up the faith of those around you. And telling the story builds your own faith. Look at verse 24 again. That all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and so that you may fear the Lord, of your, the Lord your God forever. You may fear the Lord your God forever. Can I admit to you today that there are times when I get lost in my own head? I start overthinking and stressing and discouraged and I found out that the very best medicine for me when, I, when I'm in that rut, when I'm, when I'm in that place is a flashback. 
Just, just one. All I got to have is, is one good flashback just, just to remind me of one time when God came through. Because just one memory leads to another memory. And that other memory leads to me. And then when I start remembering all that, I come out of the bedroom and I say, you remember that time? Because when it starts coming up and bubbling up in my mind and in my spirit, and I start encouraging myself with the memory, I, can start, I have to tell somebody. My soul cries out, hallelujah. I thank God for saving me. This is why we need some of you more uh, experienced members of the church. Because there's power in your stories. We need to hear about that time in the Brush Harbor meeting when God showed up and you were sweating like crazy, but he was there anyway. And, and we need to hear about those times when we didn't have the lights and the projector and the air conditioning and God still showed up anyway and there were miracles and signs and wonders. We need to hear about the struggles of setting up that tent for A.A. Allen when he's coming in and doing his meetings. We need to hear about uh, when, when Brother Shambach was rolling around and, and doing faith crusades. We need to hear about it when you were sitting in Billy Graham's meeting and you came to know. We need to hear about those stories. Need to hear about when you were traveling in an evangelistic uh, ministry, playing the organ and the piano. We need to hear about it, Brother Dennis. We need to hear about it uh, when, you, when you think about those things that, that happen. There's power in the stories. Now, please hear me. I don't want to go back to yesterday. Because now we have to take what happened in those stories and fit it to our context today. But we cannot do away with the things of old and throw the baby out with the bathwater. Do I want to go set up a, a, a revival tent in the heat of summer and have no air conditioning and have to bring the funeral fans in? No! <sighs> I believe he's big enough to move in air conditioning as he does outside, amen. <laughs> but I need my strength to be faith, uh, my faith to be strengthened by them old stories. I need to hear about it. We need to hear the story. Julie, if you'll come back. We need to hear the story. If, if I had time, I would open up for testimony night right now because stories are important. Testimonies are important. And I appreciate, you know, the, the cute little testimonies, you know, the, the, well, I just thank God for waking me up this morning when you can't think of nothing else to say. But I want to hear about what about when you met Jesus, when you, when you encountered him for real, when you knew for a fact within your heart, what, what was it like then? What was it like when you first believed? What was it like when, when, when you first walked down that aisle and, and you bowed here at this altar and you said, Lord, I, not my will, but thine be done? You know, I think that's going to probably be one of my favorite parts of heaven. I'm going to love Jesus and all that, and please don't get over spiritual on me, but what I'm really going to enjoy is sitting around with the old saints and go, you know what, John, 
tell me what it was like when the heavens opened up and, and you were sitting there with Jesus come fresh out of the water and the Spirit of God rested down on him. Peter, what was it like when you were walking across the top of that water? What did it feel like on the bottom of your feet? What did it feel like when you stood up after the biggest failure of your life, biggest restoration of your life, and you stood up in front of all these people and 3,000 people got saved? What was it like? Mary, what was it like to be the only woman in all of history to carry your baby twice? Job, Job, what, what was it like to go through such devastation, but then come out twice as blessed as you went in? Jacob, Jacob what, what was it like when you were laying there and you looked up and you saw the ladder and, and the angels were going up and coming back down and going up and coming back down? What was that like? The old saints got some stories. But can I tell you this? There's some stories in this room too. What was it like when you were sitting in that meeting and the Spirit of God started stirring your heart? Oh, hymns playing on the organ. You didn't even really like the music. You... What was it like? Tell me, tell me that story. Why don't you stand with me, please? Your story is the greatest tool you have for evangelism. Your story. How you come to know it. All throughout the New Testament, you see it over and over again. Yeah, there's the miracles and there's the signs and there's the wonders and that's great and I want more of them. And I, I want more of the gifts of the Spirit to be manifest among us. Yes, I absolutely want that. But you know, when the leaders looked at the men and they, the Bible says they took note that they had been with Jesus. They looked past the signs and past the wonders and past the miracles and all that weighed in. But when they looked at them, they said, you know, them, them guys have a story with Jesus. Somewhere along the line, their story and Jesus' story intersected. They, they've been with that man. Why do I do the things that I do? Why am I building a monument with my life? Why am I, why am I striving to be like him? So that you'll ask, and I can tell you the story. You ever been around somebody that's super passionate about something? Like, uh, you know, like, and I, I don't mean spiritually passionate. I mean, you know, they really like fill in the blank. <laughs> Most of y'all know uh, Noah. Noah and uh, Jonathan Harrington. If you ever get them in a room together, there is a, a topic that will come up and it will not end. When they start talking about who played who and what team played what, Sports fanatics. And I don't know the red from the green. I don't know. They're telling me, did you watch that game last night? And I'm going, what, what game? On what channel? 
Was that on Hulu or Netflix? I don't know. It's not what I'm passionate about. But you get around one of them guys, they're going to talk about it. Get around somebody who's really passionate about Jesus, you know what you're going to talk about? Some way, one way or another, that conversation's going to come back around to tell the story. Maybe it is tonight. Maybe you don't have that story. I know we're mostly home folks. But maybe, maybe you're in this room. Maybe you're watching online. You don't, you don't have that story. You don't know what I'm talking about when I say an encounter with Jesus. You can have that. I'd love to introduce you to him. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. There's nobody like him. If that's you and you're in this room, won't you just lift your hand up and tell me, I, I'd like to start my story tonight. Anybody. If you're online and, and you want to have us pray with you, you can uh, put it in the comments. There's somebody there, they'll pray with you. If you're watching this later and, and not live, you can go to our website and click prayer at the top of the page. There's that resource there available to you. All right. And for everybody else in this room, I'm going to open the altars up. But really my challenge this week, as you're praying, I want, I want you to ask God, God show me where I can share my story this week. And the best way really to start, we're, we're a family here. This is a good place to share your story. Share it with your friends, share it with your coworkers. The more you share your story, the more comfortable you get with sharing your story, and the more you'll find yourself sharing your story. In the business world, we call it an elevator pitch, right? Because you get so good at telling your story that you can tell it in the ride of an elevator. Elevators are great places. You get in there, and I hate elevators, but you get in the elevator with a bunch of people, and I'm always in the corner anyway, so I get in the furthest corner away, and then I turn around, and I've got it, right? Not really. Tell your story. Tell your story. As you pray t uh, tonight, ask God, God, show me, show me where I can tell my story. As they begin, please, come find a place to pray. And I would love to hear your story.
you again for allowing us to gather together here. God revealed divine opportunities this week as we go throughout our week to share our story. Give us the boldness to speak your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.